0: Hey, everybody. I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And
2: this is Nerd Sesh.
0: No! Oh, my God! How could he do that? I oh you God. on? Don't get what? what?
1: Charles Darwin.
3: All right, so over the past couple of weeks, we were honoring some of the greatest teams in both basketball and football's history, talking about the 10 greatest teams ever ever from each of those sports. Today, we're going to be flipping that right on its head and talking about the 10 worst NBA teams to ever set foot in this league. So, Logan, I'm going to throw it over to you. Who do you have at number 10? At
2: number ten, I have the 1997 Vancouver Grizzlies, who uh, finished the season at 14 and 68, and at a winning percentage of 1.71. Uh, they finished in 29, uh, 29th of 29 teams, in offensive rating in 97 uh, with a 111.8, and uh, 27 or excuse me, that's uh, that's incorrect, that's their defensive rating. Uh, They finished 27th out of 29 in defensive rating. They had a defensive rating of 111.8 and an offensive rating of 100.3. They were the second-worst scoring team in basketball that year, only scoring 89.2 points a night. And they surprisingly had a decent uh, defense, 21st out of 29 teams. But this team is really here for their negative 10.2 point differential, which was – it wasn't one of the worst on my list. It was uh, mm-hmm. 8 or 9, I believe, out of the fifteen uh, teams under 15 wins. That was the threshold that I looked at. Teams who were on under 15 wins for their season. Even lockout shortened ones, of course. But uh, this team had a very low point differential, there, and their offensive rating and defensive ratings were terrible.
3: So I completely understand this choice. In fact, this was my number 10 almost until I was ready to just settle and say, all right, this is my final list. But I ended up choosing a different team over the Grizzlies, a team that had one more win. But when you look at the roster personnel, it is on a whole different level of bad. So I ended up going with the 1989 Heat. They were 15-67, and had a negative 11.2 point differential, finished dead last in offensive rating. That's 25th out of 25, and 18th in defensive rating. And the difference to me, again, comes down to personnel. The Grizzlies also actually did have a better point differential. This Heat team started 0-17. They were 4-38 and 38 at basically the halfway point. So they picked up a few garbage wins at the end, but they were really, really bad at their lows. But when you look at the 96-97 Grizzlies, they're led by Sharif Abdul-Rahim, who, yes, was never a guy that was going to contribute to winning, but he was a, a gifted scorer. Bryant Reeves, who, of course, is one of the great players in, Grizz, in Vancouver Grizzlies history, which is a little bit sad to say. They had OK NBA guys like Anthony Peeler, Greg Anthony, George Lynch starting for them, and yes, they had some real nobodies. Lee Mayberry started for those for that Grizzlies team. Roy Rogers. Lawrence Moten. These are guys who, I mean, Roy Rogers played 137 career games, averaged 1.3 and 2.2 points per game in his other two NBA seasons. Lawrence Moten, 119 career games. Lee Mayberry. Like, these guys are just – it's a really bad roster. But when you look at the 1989 Heat, their top three scorers were Kevin Edwards, Rory Sparrow, and Grant Long. (laughs) The fact that those are the top three guys on any NBA team in history, their leading scorer might genuinely be the worst of anyone on this list. You have Billy Thompson starting 58 games. This is a guy who basically had a four-year NBA career. Uh, The only relevant player on the roster, if you're looking at, you know, if you're thinking about basketball history, is Ronnie Sakeley, who only averaged 10.9 points per game this year and, again, was a rookie. And, as I mentioned, just the abysmal start. So you could go either way because the Grizzlies have some more – prominent solid NBA players they also have some more absolute nobodies in big roles uh and you know I mean those Grizzlies teams they had a 15 game losing streak they had seven losing streaks of five plus games I just to me the roster deficiencies with the heat and the terrible point differential worse than their record would suggest made it so I had to put them in my top 10 I also will say though I also very much considered the 95-96 Grizzlies who were 15 and 67, just one win better than the 96-97, and didn't have Sharif Abdul-Rahim, who was probably their best player the next year. So they had it rough to start, and that was just their second year after expansion. So it kind of makes sense. So let's move on. Who do you have at number nine?
2: I want to stay on that just for briefly for one second, Carson. If that's uh, okay. cool with you, um, Heat squad did not make my list, and I also want to give a brief. I just want to talk about briefly the 99 uh, Grizzly squad as well, mm-hmm. finished 8 and 42. This team was also pretty depleted, um, but the reason uh, they're an honorable mention for me, when you have a guy like Mike Bibby on your roster and then your name, if you have a choice of a second guy being Mike Bibby or big country Brian Reeves, I'm probably going to take Bibby in in that situation. Uh, At number nine, I have the 94 Mavericks squad. And I seriously thought this team could have been higher on my list considering how bad they are um, in Mm -hmm. offensive and defensive rating. The squad. Either of the these Dallas teams in the 90s, you, I would be hard-pressed to name three players on any roster. I, this is I, looking up and down and going on basketball reference. It, it was atrocious. Radio. I knew Jim Jackson. That was it. I knew Jamal Mashburn on the uh, 94 team and Sean Rooks. Uh, Fat Levers here, too. The team that I'm thinking of here, the – 94 squad is here, and a different Mavericks team would be much higher on my list uh, from the previous season. Uh, Mm -hmm. This 94 team, though, finished at 13-69, and uh, 27th in offensive rating, 24th in defensive rating for their season out of 27 teams, uh, 95 points per night, dead last in the league, and the 24th defensive team, 109.6 points allowed per game. They had the 10th uh, worst point differential out of teams under 15 wins at negative 9.2, so... They're number nine on my list because of their offensive and defensive ratings. As I said, the Grizzlies team had a worse point differential, but I just, looking up and down at this roster, this Mavericks team, to me, was just worse on paper.
3: So, I understand it. I mean, I it's kind of funny to come in and defend a 13-69 and 69 team, so I'm not really going to do that. The reason they got left off my list is because – uh, the addition of Jamal Mashburn, who you know, yes, wasn't necessarily impacting winning, but that's a good NBA player. The fact that their point differential wasn't as bad, and probably the fact that if it came down to a tiebreaker between them and say someone like the '89 Heat, I would rather not have back-to-back Mavericks teams. Although really, that wasn't it. I just, I didn't fully consider them, and I think part of the reason was the point differential was better than any team on my list, which is you know a significant um, indicator of how good a team actually is. My number nine is the 2004-2005 Atlanta Hawks, who were also 13-69, and had a negative 9.8 point differential, and were 29th in offensive rating and defensive rating. And this team is really interesting because when you look at the roster, there is a ton of good names. It's just almost all these guys are either too early or too late in their careers. You have 35-year-old Tom Gugliotta, 34-year-old Kenny Anderson, 22-year-old Boris Diaw, 19-year-old Josh Smith, Lots of guys that, you know, you throw them all together in their prime, you're going to get a playoff team out of. But, of course, that is not what happened in 0 4 are 5 Their two leading guys were Antoine Walker and Al Harrington, who, yes, could always score, could always put up numbers, but just really not winning guys, not particularly efficient and not particularly well-rounded players. Tyron Lue was their third leading scorer, and he got traded there midseason. In his first stop, Houston, he was averaging six points per game. So I think that says a lot about the role that he was expected to step up and take. And then you have guys playing significant roles like rookie Josh Childress, who basically had a five-year NBA career. He was playing in Greece by age 25. He started 44 games. Obina Ekezi, who I have never heard of, he was out of the NBA in the previous two years. He's a career 3.6 point-per-game scorer, and he only played 143 NBA games, but he started 31 games for this team and then immediately left the NBA again, never played again. Jason Collier, a guy who played just 151 career games, started 44 this year. So it's just... These absolute nobodies playing significant roles. And at one point, they lost 27 of 28 games. They had a 13-game losing streak and a 14-game losing streak back-to-back. So if you're looking at the names on the roster, yeah, they're probably a little bit uh, more talented, quote-unquote, than some of the other teams. But at the end of the day, if the talent isn't uh, actually that good, it doesn't really matter. So they had to be here for me. The
2: Hawks are number eight on my list, uh, so this you know plays well uh, as you have them at All nine. Right. The point differential, like you said, was a big reason why this team made the list, and I'm really surprised you didn't mention 42-year-old uh, the man who will never retire, Kevin Willis.
3: Yeah, wow, he played a long time. Did he have the longest career ever? Not by games played, but by years, he might have. That's actually a good question.
2: Uh, I think you covered the Hawks pretty well. Who do you have at number eight, Carson?
3: So my number eight is sort of a personal favorite of mine. It's 1982-83 Rockets. And you might be wondering, Carson, what? How is an early 80s terrible team a personal favorite of yours? Just because Moses took them to the finals two years before. And yes, their personnel was slightly different on that 81 finals team, but it's still so ridiculous that a team could go from that height and fall that dramatically that quickly, primarily because of the loss of one player. They were 14 and 68 this year, had a negative 11.6 point differential. That's a big time stuff. They were 23rd of 23 in offensive rating and 19th in defensive rating. Their leading scorer was Alan Lavelle, who is a career nine and a half point per game guy, followed by James Bailey, a career 8.8 point per game guy. So there was not a player who was actually playing a decent role on this team who scored 10 points per game in their career. And then you do have a couple of historically relevant guys in Elvin Hayes and Calvin Murphy but Hayes was 37, Murphy was 34 and then they also have old Caldwell Jones who was a good player in his in his youth but again it's just old guys and irrelevant guys and this team as so many of these teams did started out the year just ice cold, lost their first 10 games, had eight separate losing streaks of 5 plus games. So their record is better than say the 0405 Hawks but the point differential, and when you just look at the roster, it's insane. And of course, again, the 81 Rockets, that was a better team. Uh, they, had, they had Rudy Tomjanovic on that team, who was better at that point. I think he might have still been on the 83 team, but he wasn't as good. They had a slightly better Calvin Murphy. They had Robert Reed, who was a solid player. So it's not, it's not apples to apples here, but it's still pretty funny in my opinion
2: this Rockets team is on my list uh, a little higher up mostly because as you mentioned, their point differential was so bad. And
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, you mentioned the the exit of Moses Malone and man, this team is just such a tweener without it. old Elvin Hayes, old Calvin Murphy. Mm-hmm. This team just seems directionless.
3: Yeah. Well, of course they did get Ralph Sampson and Akeem Olajuwon out of being this terrible. And then they're back in the finals by 86. So Really, trust I don't Trust the think, process. Yeah, trust the process. And I think they got to say thanks to just this miserable, miserable team. And if I'm not mistaken, it was these Rockets teams that actually inspired the lottery because they were diving so hard for the worst record in the league. And then, of course, it ended up working out for them because they got Sampson and Olajuwon. But then by 85, you have, um, you know, obviously the rigged lottery where Patrick Ewing goes to the Knicks. I don't... <laughs> I don't know if it's rigged. Uh, okay, let's move on to number seven. Who do you have there? At number seven, I have the 1987 Clippers.
2: And for a team that finished 12 and 70, you may expect them to, you know, be a little higher. But mm-hmm. there are some really bad teams I discovered in basketball history. Uh, oh, sure. Are. I consider the '99 squad for the Clippers as well, just because the Clippers historically just suck. There's got to be a Clippers squad on here. Uh, if there's one good thing I can say about what Elgin Baylor and Don Cheney did with this team is they ran. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ran. They had Fourth best pace, but wow, they are horrendous in every other category. 23rd in offensive rating, 23rd in defensive rating. Uh, they, the sixth worst point differential on my list at negative 11.4. 22nd in points allowed per game uh, out of 23 teams and 21st in points per game at a little under 105. This team ran, they pushed the pace, but they could not defend anyone. If you take a look at the roster here, I, I see Cornbread Maxwell here. That's the only person that I could, mm. off the top of my head, tell you that I knew and saw playing
3: basketball. So I have this team one spot higher, but I guess I'll just address them now for convenience's sake. They're abysmal. As you mentioned, they're 23rd in offensive rating and defensive rating. That's out of 23, so they're dead last in both. Their leading scorer, Logan, was Mike Woodson, who also took part in another one of these teams on this list. He was the coach of the 0405 Hawks. So rough, I guess, rough all around career being associated with the NBA for Mike. And then he had one good year coaching the Mellow Knicks. He averaged 17 a game. Then you have Michael Cage, as you mentioned, old Cedric Maxwell. Marquise Johnson is a big name on this team because he was great for the Bucs in the early 80s, but he only played 10 games. He was past his prime. Darnell Valentine scored 11 points a game. Larry Drew scored 12 points a game. And... Yeah, I, they started the year 3-3, three and three, which is impressive for any of these teams, but they had a 12-game losing streak, a 14-game losing streak, and they ended the year on a 15-game losing streak. So, for me, the difference between them and the team that I have at 7 was point differential. The 87 Clippers are significantly worse there, but my number 7 has the same record of 12-70, and 70, and it is the 2009-2010 New Jersey Nets who had a negative 9.1 point differential. They were 30th in offensive rating and 25th in defensive rating. There are a few things that are incredible about this team. One of them being that they had three coaches this year, and the first two of them did not get a win. Lawrence Frank started out the year 0-16. Then Tom baris went 0-2 as an interim guy. Then Kiki Vandeway went 12-52. So it's incredible that some of these coaches last a year. A lot of them end up getting axed midway through. But, of course, now, you know, some GMs, Sam Henke, if he ever finds his way back in the NBA again, would probably give these guys a raise for losing this much because that's the objective. So, on this roster, you have Devin Harris, who was an all-star the previous year, who I think I remember more fondly because he was pretty good in our childhoods and actually wasn't really that good because this year he's 16.9 a game on 40% from the field, 27.6% from three. Very inefficient. And if there's any spot to put up big numbers, this is the team to do it. And he did not do it. And this offense as a whole was just abysmal. You have 21 year old Brooke Lopez in his second year, averaging 19 and 8.5. And Admirable, but not peak Brooke Lopez yet. He was just too young. You have a solid guy in Courtney Lee filling out, you know, some of those points, some of those minutes. But then the rest of the roster is crazy. You have Yi jian Leon who started 51 games, only played 272 career games. You have Chris Douglas Roberts with 38 starts. He played 222 career games. You have Trenton Hassel, started 31 games. He was a four and a half point per game career guy out of the league right after this. Jarvis Hayes, 19 starts out of the league right after this. Josh Boone, 28 starts, four points per game, out of the league right after this. So those are three significant contributors who never set foot on an NBA court again, and for good reason, and just so many brief, bad careers on this team. They had five eight-plus game losing streaks. They started the year 0-18, as I mentioned, with the two coaches. And they started the year, they then extended that to 3-48. and So, unspeakably bad, these 2010 Nets. I think that they're sort of interchangeable with the 87 Clippers. They're both, of course, at that honorable 12-70 and 70 mark, entering the 70 loss clubs. The seventy loss club, but for me, the eighty-seven Clippers were just a little bit worse. So, who do you have at number six?
2: At number six, I have the eighty-three Rockets, as you had, uh, you know, just discussed mm-hmm. the point differential as you mentioned, uh, horrendous, worse than the rating, uh, fourth, fourth or fifth worst in defensive rating, fifth worst, excuse me, in defensive mm-hmm. rating, and defensively, I don't think this team was as bad, and maybe you can make the argument, but as we their point differential, and really the, as you said, the measure of how good a team is, too bad to warrant being lower on my list and being considered a better team.
3: I agree. So let's move into the top five. Then, who do you have at number five? At number five, I have the
2: 1998 Denver Nuggets. Uh, this team finished at 11 and 71, and finished in 28th out of 29 teams in offensive rating and 29th out of 29 teams in defensive rating. Uh, they had, they scored 89 points per game, 28th in the league out of 29 teams, and allowed 100.8 points per game, 26th out of 29 teams, negative 11.8 point differential, fourth worst out of teams on my list in my top 10. And this Nuggets team, the one thing that stuck out to me, you see a young Mike Tony uh, as an executive here on uh, the basketball reference page. I thought that was pretty interesting. Team-wise, roster-wise, one guy that stuck out to me was Bryant Stith because I recognize him from his time at the University of Virginia. Shout-out Virginia, mm-hmm. always. Uh, LaFonso Ellis is here, Johnny Newman, uh, a young Bobby Jack, uh, who I remember for his time mm-hmm. in Sacramento. This team sucks. I mean, Eric Williams is leading them in points at 19.8. Boards, LaFonso Ellis at seven – or, excuse me, no – Dean Garrett, I'm not going to disrespect Dean Garrett like that. He did not walk out and start 82 games for the 98 Nuggets and lead them in rebounds for me to disrespect him like that. Mm -hmm. Wow, this team stunk, though.
3: Yeah, no, it's pretty unbelievable. You mentioned leading scorer Eric Williams, but he played four games due to injury. And first of all, if Eric Williams is scoring 20 a game, I think he had some decent scoring seasons throughout his career, but it's probably not a great sign. So Johnny Newman, who is a Virginia boy as well, Uh, Ended up leading them in scoring with 14.7 a game. Then you have Lafonso Ellis, who really just had one good year, which I believe was the year before this. Corey Alexander, uh, who was a five and a half point per game career scorer, averaged 14 in his 23 games there, which to me is always telling because that's when you see, all right, someone's got to soak up these shots. And some guys are just putting up numbers that don't mean anything. As you mentioned, rookie Bobby Jackson, Dean Garrett. 82 starts. This is a career 4.8 point per game scorer who only played six seasons in the league. And he is just, he's the core. He is the tree that this team relies on down low, protecting the rim, grabbing boards, interior, dominant scorer, Dean Garrett. So that's never a good sign. They started the year 0-12. A 23-game losing streak brought them to 2-38, and and then, moments later, they have another 16-game losing streak, and they're brought to 5-58. So, some of these teams pick up quality late. Um, I sort of wish that they had stayed on their trajectory, because when you start 5-58, you're really looking like you're going to be a single-digit witness team. And so, it's unfortunate that they didn't end that way. But we both agreed on that. And then, just for clarity's sake, as a reminder, at number 6, I had the 87 Clippers, uh, but we had already discussed that. So, let's move on. Who do you have at number 4? Who did you have at number five? You also had the Nuggets? or I also had the 98 Nuggets. Nice. All right. At number four is a
2: team that uh, point differential-wise should probably not be this high on my list, but it's the 2016 Philadelphia 76ers who finished at 10-72. and 72. I mean, I just remember watching this team, and they mm-hmm. stunk. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they left me wondering. They had the 7th worst stuff for context here among other teams, 30th in offensive rating, 26th in defensive rating, uh, 97.4 points, per game, and 107.6 points allowed. Negative 10.2 point differential. Seventh worst on my list. But I honestly think it's because they didn't play Christian Wood. If they knew to play (laughs) the greatest player of all time, if they knew to give him minutes, I think this team would have played better. But instead, they trotted out old Elton Brand and EuroLeague star Sonny Weems.
3: Okay. It is honestly pretty insane that Christian Wood got cut from this team. Because, first of all, you know what that actually tells me? Oh, this is perfect. Sam Hickey (laughs) was the GOAT. He knew exactly how to tank. He saw a talented player walk onto the roster, and he said, no, get out of here. We don't want you here. But there actually are some guys who ended up becoming decent. This is funny. Again, I have the uh, 15, 16, 76ers at number four on my list as well, so we are very much agreeing on this to this point. Um, There are some decent players. You know, Robert Covington, Nerlens Noel, Jeremy Grant, but just none of them were themselves yet. They were super young, with the exception of Covington, who wasn't that young, but just never was seen as legitimate in his time in Philly, and it was probably unfair, but it was because they were so bad, so bad at this point. Their leading scorer was Julia Okafor, who I still think he can score out of the post. He's pretty skilled down there, but <laughs> boy, is he bad at everything else, and he shouldn't be your leading scorer. And their second leading scorer is Smith, who I believe has played on – Eight or nine teams in his NBA career and is really not known for anything other than being fast. Other notable names to start at least 15 games for this team. Jakar Sampson, Hollis Thompson, Isaiah Cannon, and Nick Stauskis. That's winning basketball. They started the year 0-18, then they won one game, then they lost 12 more straight. So they were 1-30 to start the year. Then they were better for a brief stretch in the middle. And then they lost 28 of their last 30 games, too. So they start the year 1 and 30. They end the year 2-28. and 28. That is just Sam Hinkie's dream. It's his vision realized. And then, of course, you know, within a couple of years, they're a contender, and then they're disappointing again briefly after. But I think this team has to be in the top five, even without the point differential. I don't think that's bias because we watch them. I think it is really because more than any other team, they openly tried to suck, and they were just great at it. So let's move in to the top three. Who do you have?
2: At number three, I have the nineteen seventy-three Philadelphia 76ers. Uh this team finished at 9 and 73. They finished 17th out of 17 teams in offensive rating, 14th out of 17 in defensive rating. And when I first looked at this team, I was going, man, this team's really good. They have a bunch of scores up and down this roster. There's no way they were actually this bad. No, they just they they ran. They they were one of the fastest yeah. teams pace-wise. And they had a lot of guys come in there for very little games. I knew very little about this roster. I knew very little people on this team. Uh, I like that we have John Block and John Trapp here. Very cool (laughs) names. Uh, And a very old Hal Greer. Only only guy I knew on the roster.
3: Yeah. I mean, this is an interesting thing that Hal Greer is on this roster because, and I made a comment about this on my Twitter, as I often do about things from, you know, the 70s, the 60s, the 50s, what have you. And I, my point was, I feel like people think that because of his name, Hal Greer played in like the 40s, because that is actually the oldest sounding name that I've ever heard of. But he played into the early 70s. Um, I believe that John Trapp was on the 71-72 Lakers the year before this. So that would really suck. You go from a 69-win team to a 9-win team. And I should mention Logan. I also have the 72-73 Sixers at number three. So I think that we might be able to sweep the top five here in the exact same order, which I don't think we've ever done before on any list. Uh, and this would be an interesting one to see it happen for. So Fred Carter's the leading scorer at 20 a game. John Block, who you also mentioned, was averaging 18 a game. Then midseason traded to Kansas City where he averaged nine. So that's sort of the same thing I was talking about. Very telling when a guy's numbers are dramatically different from one spot to another. Then they traded for Tom Van Arsdale of the famous Van Arsdale brothers, who averaged almost 18 a game for them. You have Kevin Lawry playing 32 games. He also coached 31. These were still in the days where they had player coaches, which was never a good idea in my opinion, but it worked for the Celtics with Bill Russell. But I guess they were just going to win no matter what. They started the year losing 15 straight. Then later, this is just incredible. They had a 14-game losing streak, a 20-game losing streak, and they ended the year on a 13-game losing streak. Four losing streaks of 13-plus games. That's 50 – well, how many losses is that? That's 62 losses. Oh, my goodness. That's 62 losses over just four stints. So, I guess they really packed their wins in tight because they're 9-11 over the rest of their games. So, go Sixers. Two of the worst five teams in NBA history, I think, pretty clearly in our opinion. And, but they couldn't get into the top two for you. So who do you have at that two spot?
2: At two is a spot I really went back and forth with. This team at the two spot has the worst uh, point differential of any team on my list at negative 15.2. It's the 1993 Dallas Mavericks. Uh, this team finished at 11 and 71, finished dead last in offensive rating and dead last in defensive rating. And looking back to the historical numbers and for context, I, played with this team at the number one spot is the worst team of all time. The only thing that held me back was the fact that, again, I saw the 2012 Charlotte Bobcats play basketball, and there's no way that I can possibly conceive in my brain that anyone could be as bad as them. Uh, Mm -hmm. Derek Harper leads this team in scoring, and like I said, Jim Jackson, Sean Rooks, shout out Tim Legler for being also on this roster. Only guys I could pick apart on this roster that I knew who they were.
3: Yeah, this is my number two as well, so we are going to complete the sweep. Uh, They were led by Derek Harper, who was a decent NBA player. Jim Jackson was their second scorer, but he only played 28 games. Then, as you mentioned, Sean Rooks, Terry Davis, both had career-high scoring seasons. They are just around six-point-per-game guys for their careers. Walter Bond started over half their games. He played in 153 career games, so it's basically two seasons of basketball. Mike Uzzolino started 23 games. He was in his second year also his last year in the league. Doug Smith started 42 games. He had a five-year career. Randy White started 20 games. He had a five-year career. Just these guys that have no business playing in the NBA. And I think that is an important thing to remember with this. Often, you can have one or two decent guys at the top like Derek Harper and Jim Jackson. But then, as you go down the roster, it's just so many guys that should never have even set foot in the league. They had a 15-game losing streak and a 12-game losing streak and a 19-game losing streak all nice and early in the season, which brought them to 4-57 and at one point. So they really – they could have done it, Logan. And if they had a 66-game season, they would have been worse than the Bobcats. But unfortunately, they did pick it up a bit. Uh, Maybe the big change they made was they fired head coach Richie Adubato after a two and 27 start replaced him with Gar Hurd, who went nine and 44. I think that Gar is the only thing that kept them from being immortalized as the worst team to ever do it. But I absolutely think they have to be here. And at number one, I think we both know who we have, but why don't we tell the people?
2: Number one, I have to I have to give Michael Jordan credit with the last dance happening, with us being able to give see everything for Michael Jordan's career. Michael Jordan constructed the greatest college basketball team of all time. <laughs> four guys in double-digit scoring, three guys over four assists. Kemba Walker is shooting 36.6% from the field. Michael Jordan may have done something.
3: No, this was incredible. This was an incredible accomplishment. Obviously. Most famous for being 7 and 59, negative 13.9 point differential, which is just on the verge of being the worst ever. But the Mavs at negative 15.2, that's insane. They scored 87 points per game in the modern NBA. Now, pace of play has ticked up a lot since then, but I don't think there's a team scoring less than like 103, 104 points per game right now. Of course, last in offensive rating and defensive rating. As a team, they shot 41.4% from the field and 29.5% from three. They had an assist-to-turnover ratio of less than 1.4-to-1. Just all these incredible things. Gerald Henderson leading them in scoring. You have rookie Kemba just thrust into the worst situation ever, shot 36.6%. And combined, Logan, these names filled 48% of their starting spots on the season. So basically two-and-a-half starters a game were filled by these guys. Rookie Bismack Biombo, who sucked, Reggie Williams, Byron Mullins, Derek Brown, DJ White, Tyrus Thomas, Desagna Jopp, and Matt Carroll. Like, you have got to be kidding me, man. That is half their relevant players. It's ridiculous. They opened the season with a win, then a one point loss versus the Heat, who were basically at the peak of their powers. And then four days later, they played the Heat again and they lost by 39. So I think that was a little more telling of their true abilities. They started the year 3 10, which honestly makes this more incredible because then you have to go 4 and 49 over the rest of the season. Then they immediately lost 16 straight, ended the year on a 23-game losing streak. And I think that they won their next game of the next year, so weren't able to extend that. But what an accomplishment. What an
2: accomplishment. What blew my mind really about both of these rosters, especially the 93 Mavericks team, is they didn't have a single player over uh, 50% from the field, which is kind of embarrassing considering that people are 7 feet tall. And then the Bobcats
3: only had one in Derrick Brown. That's that's an unbelievable stat, to not have basically a single efficient player on your team. And that's why I went to the team stats, because they were just jaw-dropping. There is not, at this point, I think you could argue, there is not a single good NBA player on this roster. We didn't mention Corey Maggette, who maybe you could argue in that conversation. But Gerald Henderson, really, who cares? He could score a little bit. Rookie Kemba, with his just... Poor defense and just so inefficient. He was not a good NBA player yet. It's, I came into this thinking maybe I could argue the 15-16 the Sixers as the worst team of all time. But really, I, when you look back at it with clear eyes and with your goggles no longer fogged, it's got to be the 2012 Bobcats. They were the worst to ever do it. And there's a reason that they had to rebrand pretty soon after this and they became the Hornets. Good for them.
2: Jamario Moon Jamario Moon shot 29.2% in eight games for this team and never
3: played in the NBA again. Oh, what a shame. Who didn't love Jamario Moon? Uh, they get our props as the worst to ever do it, but we always have a few tough cuts from these lists. So I mentioned the mid-90s Grizzlies, the 96 Grizzlies, and the 97 Grizzlies for me. Uh, also, the 94 Mavs, who came right after that 92-93 team. Those were the three teams that I got closest to putting on. Who were the narrow misses for you?
2: Uh, you mentioned the Grizzly squads. I also considered the 9-41-99 uh, Clippers squad. I left the 2010 Nets off because I felt they were a little farther along defensively than some of the other teams on our list. But, I mean, mm-hmm. point differential, they are still one of the worst teams ever. I thought you did a pretty good job. I, I enjoyed hearing uh, reminiscing on Devin Harris tearing up the NBA for a brief moment.
3: Yeah, he was just a killer. That's funny. It didn't even occur to me that you left them off your list. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, listen, when you're dealing with the worst of the worst, there is a bunch of directions you can go, which is why I think it's interesting that of all the lists for us to agree exactly on the top five, this ended up being the one. But, you know, it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling to be in to be in absolute agreement. It's a
2: good feeling to be listening to Nerd Sesh.
3: Oh, boy, is it. But unfortunately, guys, that feeling – like everything in life is fleeting and can last no longer because we're done here. So this one was fun. I think that we're going to be back with a certain special kind of episode, wink, wink, trivia focused next week, because we've, uh, we've taken a few weeks off, but I've been Carson Brebber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh.